Hello and welcome into the Facilitation Studio. I'm your author, John Sunart, a design strategist based in Glasgow, Scotland. Issue 8. Defining good criteria for decision-making. Good decision-making starts with an understanding of the criteria you're using to make your judgments. In this issue, we'll walk through the process of defining criteria with a case study and a workshop agenda. But before that, in a previous issue, I said there were only four things you could do in a workshop. Map, dream, distill, and prioritize. Someone since asked me why decision-making wasn't called out as one of the types of activity, as it's undoubtedly a key outcome of many sessions. This is important and perhaps something I should have spent more time introspecting on, if such a word exists, before writing the issue. The reason, however, is simple. I don't believe that groups of people should make decisions. I think that based on group prioritization and the discussions stemming from that, individuals with decision-making power should make informed decisions. Though the distinction might appear to be semantics initially, there are two good reasons it's more important than that. Firstly, groups can make decisions that individuals couldn't or wouldn't, notably ones that go against an organization, product or team's principles or culture, and that's rarely positive. They can do this because there is a layer of insulation or deniability between individuals and the outcomes. The reality is that decisions are ultimately made by an individual. A former colleague once said to me that companies don't exist. They're just groups of individuals who agreed to create a fiction together. Groups can't be held accountable or viewed as sentient. I firmly believe that decision makers should own and understand their decisions, even the tough ones. There should be no shame in making a tough decision, as long as you can justify and explain it. Secondly, the expectation of consensus in a group decision means that people who oppose the end decision must accept defeat and bow to the wisdom of the group, rather than having the opportunity to dissent with grace. Aside from being potentially politically humiliating, that risks silencing people before they start. It means that opinions individuals believe to be uncommon might never get aired because of the risk of losing face and that increases the likeliness of the highest paid person's opinion, the hippo, being the only opinion heard, rather than allowing a genuine dialogue to develop. These join together to turn group decisions into anti-collaboration rather than the collaborative outcomes we aim for. Decision makers can absolutely use that power in the context of a collaborative session. You and your collaborators build, refine and inform the options and resources that lead to the best decisions. Together, you bring a wealth of opinion, expertise and brain power to a problem. You are focusing that combined effort of your collaborators on helping the decision maker make a better choice than they could locked in a room on their own. So, after that insight into John's philosophy of business, let's return to the main subjects of today's issue, criteria. There are many prioritization techniques, from quick and dirty tools like dot voting to much more dynamic prioritization and weighting tools like precedence. But the clarity and articulation of your criteria will make or break any of them. Remember the last time someone asked you to pick the best idea. You may have been using sticky dots in a workshop or choosing a day out with your family on WhatsApp. What did the best mean to you in that context? Do you know what it meant to the other people facing the same decision? Do you think it was the same? When it comes to business, the same questions stand. Terms like best are subjective, ill-defined, and impossible to quantify. 
As I'll no doubt say many times, facilitation, design and business are all arts, not scientists. So I apologise now for my flagrant abuse of the term quantitative and its variants as we move forward through this series. We often assume that others understand the terms like we do, or share our foreknowledge and worldview. That results in many people coming to distinctly different conclusions, but not knowing where to start when explaining why. And this brings us back to debate, rather than the dialogue we aim for as collaborators. Naturally, that leads to confusion, misunderstandings, and then potential conflict. So how do we reduce this confusion? Good criteria are the magical ingredient that can transform mediocre decision-making into impactful conversations. They are objective, specific, and relevant to the decision being made. Good criteria are the standards or factors used to evaluate and compare options. They should be agreed upon by the team and should reflect the project, product, or organization's values and goals. There are two types of criteria, binary criteria and flexible criteria. Binary criteria are the yes or no factors. You can think of these criteria as an initial filter. An idea must meet all of these criteria to be considered further. For example, I worked with an ambulance organisation to create a specification for vehicle equipment. Two binary criteria were ability to be fully sterilised by the ambulance crew and can be used whilst wearing gloves. You can see why, no matter how fancy, affordable or high quality, a piece of equipment that doesn't meet both those criteria just can't be entertained. Flexible criteria are the more nuanced factors that can be evaluated on a spectrum. These are the spaces where there is potential to have trade-off between criteria. Not completely meeting one doesn't rule something out, as it could overperform in another important area, creating a net gain. For example, when working with a pharmaceutical customer to create a brief for a digital product, two flexible criteria were can be scaled to provide value to as much of our patient base as possible, and provides a personalised experience to patients. These are flexible criteria because something could score highly on only one and still be a viable, valuable idea to discuss further. So now we know what good criteria are, here are the four stages of creating them, no matter the context. You can do this in 10 minutes to decide what to do with your kids at the weekend, or you can spend two days working on them to define the success of your next products year in market. First, clearly lay out the intent of the criteria. Two, create a range of potential criteria. Three, separate them into binary and flexible criteria. Four, review your flexible criteria and refine them to the eight-ish most important. Okay, so that's all good in theory. Let's walk through a real example. I'm going to take the pharmaceutical example I mentioned previously and expand that for you. This is the context. We have the steering committee for the division in the room. They're the people who will inform the intent of the digital products your team will be researching, designing, and hopefully building. The CMO is also with us. It's her budget we're spending, and she's accountable for the project's success. That makes her the ultimate decision maker. Even though she'll likely delegate the product decisions and rely heavily on others' recommendations, it's her role to make the final call. We have yet to determine what challenges this app will address, but we understand why the CMO has chosen to invest in the space and her intent for the project. She wants to capture the lower end of the market for a particular condition. People who can't afford regular treatment for their chronic illness and therefore need help managing acute treatment. Side note, American healthcare is terrifying. We'd spent the day learning about the business cases and contacts from various stakeholders. 
Following this, I had 90 minutes on our agenda to define the strategic priorities for the digital product, followed by 30 minutes to prioritize them. This is how I planned the 90 minute session. First, I spent five minutes clearly articulating the purpose of the criteria. We laid the challenge out clearly, ensuring that all the collaborators are on the same page regarding the intent of the decision. I then explained what a criterion is and the three parts. First, a criteria is objective, meaning multiple people could assess something against the criteria and come to the same conclusion. Secondly, it's measurable, meaning we could observe behavior or review data to provide a barometer of assessment. And three, it's context specific, meaning it's appropriate to the challenge we're exploring and isn't setting things up for failure. I'd usually say something like, with the best will in the world, a new bubble tea flavor isn't gonna create world peace, but it could increase the amount of laughter in the store. Next, we're gonna spend 10 minutes doing a brainwriting session. I'm gonna ask all of the collaborators to silently write out potential criteria. I'm gonna ask them to do one idea per sticky and keep it at a reasonably high level. I'll remind them that we're going to dive deeper into it during the discussion. Next, we're going to spend 20 minutes bringing all those criteria together on one board, avoiding hierarchy. To do that, I go around the table and ask each person in turn to share a single criterion. When they've read it out, I take it off them, I put it on the board, and I'll ask if anyone else has anything similar. If they do, I'll have those people read their post-it notes and we'll gather them all in one group. I'll then try to summarize that group back to them in a high-level statement that conforms to the criteria rules, i.e. it's objective, measurable, and context-specific. We'll go through this cycle a few times until we've got something that we feel encapsulates everything that was said in that criteria. Then we'll continue to the next person who'll read out one of their criterion. We'll go around the table until we've got all of the criterion up on the wall in front of us. It probably won't take as long as you think because people will have written broadly similar things and you'll start to create those themes. Next, we're gonna create our filter by separating the criteria into flexible and binary groups, ensuring that each of the binary criterion instantly excludes anything that's assessed against it. That's pretty fast, 10 minutes and you're done. Next is the meat. We're gonna spend half an hour here and we're gonna review all of the flexible criteria, add detail and streamline them where possible. Every criterion should be distinct. If two criteria appear quite closely linked, you need to reassess them. If you use the same information to evaluate two criteria, they could probably be blended into one. And likewise, if two criteria are different, but the articulation is confusing, you need to re-articulate both until everyone in the group can express and understand the difference. Next, we're gonna spend 10 minutes creating an A-list of the most important criteria. You don't really want to have more than eight flexible criteria, or you'll have too many variables when it comes to actually comparing options and it'll all become meaningless again. So carefully review all of the criteria. We're gonna try and remove as many as possible down to a secondary level of criteria, paying particular attention to ones that either haven't provoked conversation or were only identified by a single stakeholder. I title it something along the lines of important supplementary information. So these are things that we should know answers to when it comes to comparing ideas, but we're not going to put much attention on them and we're not going to include them in any prioritization matrices. Finally, we're going to use the rest of the time to review and walk through all of those criteria, ensuring that the team has complete alignment on the wording and the meaning. Following the session, I used the recording of that review 
to write up every single criteria along with all of the nuance of the conversations that we'd had around it, meaning that in future we could come back, read the criteria and understand exactly why we came to that conclusion and that wording. So that's it for today. By ensuring you work with your collaborators to define good criteria, you'll take the first step towards avoiding miscommunication, misunderstandings and the resulting poor decision making. I hope this article has helped you understand the importance of defining good criteria. Stay tuned for our next issue, where we'll discuss how to turn those criteria into a useful matrix for comparing ideas. Until then, happy facilitating. Subscribe to this ongoing series from the Facilitation Studio and let's improve the quality of the collaborative environments you create.